Coming up on Chopper's Politics. The strength of what needs to change in this country is akin to the reunification of Germany. And if you look at how much money West Germany spent in East Germany, it was £1.5 trillion has been spent. That's nowhere near the kind of sums this government are putting forward. Hello and welcome to Chopper's Politics. I'm Christopher Hope, The Telegraph's Associate Editor. Now, a very important document was published in Westminster this week. The Sue Gray Report. Sue Gray Report. Because Sue Gray is working... No, not that one. The government's levelling up white paper. It's been rather overshadowed by parties, parties and, well, more parties. But it's crucial. The Tories were elected on a pledge to tackle the UK's regional inequalities after all. And now a dozen of those promises will be made law for the rest of the decade in the new levelling up white paper. That's right, today we're drilling down into levelling up. Right, so first up, what is levelling up? Now, when this idea was mooted by Boris Johnson before the 2019 election, it was never really defined, a bit like Brexit in the early part of Theresa May's premiership. Brexit meant Brexit, levelling up meant levelling up. And even when the government established a department called the levelling up department, they couldn't tell me quickly what levelling up is. So this document is 350 pages long and one would assume includes a definition of what levelling up is. And one of our star reporters here at Telegraph, Tony Diver, has read the entire document. And so for you, dear listeners, we're going to give him three minutes to tell us what's in it. Starting with the question, Tony Diver, your time starts now. What is levelling up? Right. The government says that levelling up is a way of balancing out the economic outcomes of people in different parts of the UK. So Boris Johnson's favourite thing to say is, while talent is spread evenly throughout the UK, opportunity is not. And basically what it's saying is that we need equality of opportunity between people in different places. And that if you're born in Grimsby, then your life chances are much less good than if you're born in London. And so the government wants to do something about this. But doing that is very difficult because uh, the reasons for it are very complicated. And this 350-page document is meant to tell us exactly why. The idea then is to stop people feeling they've got to go south to get work. Why not stay where you are? And then those places, they'll be levelled up literally by having more, better jobs and and qualify people staying in the area they are born in. Yeah, exactly. And Michael Gave talks about this thing called the Medici effect, which is a thing that he's nicked from a slightly strange 2004 book by this Swedish-American entrepreneur. But the idea is basically, if you put ideas and economic prospects and art and music and culture and everything into cities, uh, then what you do is make them really prosperous and all these things interact with each other and you get something like the Renaissance. And Michael Gove saying, look, this has happened in London, but it hasn't happened in uh, Blackpool. And so what we need to do is put all of these resources into these places and then people in Blackpool won't leave and go to London. They'll stay there. Now, Tony Diver, your story in The Telegraph is headlined, Gove pledges tens of billions a year to poorest regions. Pledges not spending, right? Yeah, that's right. All he's doing is spending the money that was given to him by Rishi Sunak in the last spending review. Uh, and he did admit yesterday, actually, that he wanted a lot more. He asked the Treasury for more money, but he didn't get it, unfortunately. But yeah, that's right. There's no there's no new money here. This is just, uh, this is just what he'd already had. The ideas, though, in, in his 12 pledges by 2030 are kind of labour, almost labour ideas, like, like well, not quite uh, tractor production in Russia, but certainly, you know, nine out of ten children to achieve standards in reading, writing and maths and other areas around life expectancy, homicide, serious violence, neighbourhood crime will have fallen. I mean, it is, it is a complete kind of playbook of all government policy, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's right. He's basically, and actually, I've spoken to people across government who were a bit annoyed that Michael Gove has basically nicked stuff that they were meant to be doing, because <laughs> levelling up is is the central thing of Boris Johnson's government. So if you're uh, the education secretary or the health secretary or whatever, then he's just nicked a few of your announcements. There's a line in there about the Olympics, Tony. Yes, there is. Uh, this is that the government is very quietly uh, buried in this document, told us that they're going to begin a feasibility study to see whether or not Britain should host the Olympics again in the 2040s. So uh, they think that maybe in a northern city of the UK, uh, we could have the Olympics come back, which is great news. And, and Tony, I've got 10 seconds left to ask you about the Romans. Quickly, the Romans. <laughs> yeah, Michael gave, it looks back across the entire history of the world in this document. And uh, he says that it, it, begins with, it begins with Jericho in 7000 BC and goes all the way through On the that Romans. note, Tony Diver, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks. Sorry, we did say three minutes, Tony. Your time's up. Well, as Tony Diver said there, levelling up is central to Boris Johnson's government. And the team trying to enact that vision is the Department for Leveling Up, Housing and Communities, DLUC, as is known in Whitehall. Now, Neil O'Brien is a Tory MP for Harborough, Odeby and Wigston, and a minister within the department. It's a busy week for him indeed, but he found time to join me in my usual spot in the Red Lion pub at the heart of Westminster. Neil O'Brien, welcome to Chopper's Politics. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel strange walking into a pub at 10am, <laughs> which I can assure listeners is not my usual style. No, but you're drinking a cup of tea. You've got your Chopper's Politics mug, which you'll, you'll put in, in your office now, won't you? Thank so, you. So sum up levelling up in one tweet, Neil O'Brien. So it's really about four things. It's firstly about um, growing the... You're doing economy. a thread now, you see. I'm not doing a thread. I'm not going to try and sneak in a thread, a, tr- <laughs> a thread of tweets, but it's really about four things. So it's... Firstly, it's about kind of growing the economy, pay and living standards, particularly in the areas that are weaker. Secondly, it's about spreading opportunity and improving public services where they're not so good. Um, Third is about um, improving kind of local pride, and that's everything from the kind of look and feel of your town centre and kind of regeneration policy to kind of crime and antisocial behaviour, community groups, that kind of thing. And the fourth big thing, which brings the others together, is about kind of local leadership and local empowerment and, and devolution. We're doing lots of things under all four of those headings in the white paper that we published this week. It's an effort right across all of government, every government department, uh, pretty much, and all of the UK as well. So we do absolutely recognise it's quite often written up as a kind of north-south thing, and there is, it is true that lots of the north is uh, uh, poorer and in need of levelling up, but it's we, absolutely the case that we recognise that within even affluent regions like the southeast, there are places that are poor, yeah. and even in a, even in a rich Yep. Say local authority, Kensington, there are pockets of really serious deprivation. So you can level up in Chelsea. Exactly, it was the key, the key priority. The, um, uh, but no, seriously, they, um, uh, you know, there are the issues. There are issues be- about you know that we are addressing through the white paper, be it um, public health, obesity, trying to stave off some of the great mm. public health challenges of our time, to all the action that we're taking at a very individual level mm. to just boost people's ability to keep more of their own money and earn more. So, for example, through the increase that we're seeing in the uh, national living wage up to nine pound fifty in April. That's, £1,000 extra for full-time workers, or things that we've done, like the change to the UC taper rate, which lets people keep more of the money if you're working on a low income, lets you keep more of the money you've earned. And again, that's worth another £1,000 a year. For two, for two million households, that's a really big deal. I think we don't talk enough about it. So levelling up can be a good thing for people in the southeast, like Guildford or Wimbledon. Yeah. It, can, it can mean... Well, it's, it's in, and in two ways as well. So as well as recognising those pockets of poverty within those areas, it's also about um, a sense that there is a sort of win-win here. That it's interestingly, when you look at the international evidence, countries that have a more geographically balanced economy do better overall. In fact, there's like, no, like where? 
Well, well, Germany is a pretty good example of this, very geographically balanced. Um, and they've done a lot to bring up living standards in the former East Germany. Indeed, a lot, lot of East Germany has overtaken large parts of the UK because of the huge efforts they made. So it is an example in lots of ways. But this finding that there's no country that's more geographically unbalanced than the UK and more affluent overall is a very important one. The reverse is true too. Uh, and why is that? It's, in a sense, it's obvious, isn't it? If you have an economy where in one part of it it's overheating, you can't buy a house, mm-hmm. you can't get on the train in the morning, it's too congested, public services are overloaded, and then in other parts of the country, they're crying out for inward investment, they're desperate for jobs, they've got loads of land, the infrastructure is underused, the, serv- the rail service is being cut. You know, you can see that there's a win-win there, that you can, if you can get some of these particularly kind of great former uh, cities and smaller towns in, in the north, the Midlands, in Scotland, in Wales, growing again. I mean, some of these places are smaller, have a smaller population than they did in 1981. And if you can get them going, then that takes a bit of the pressure off yeah. Some of the bits of the country where, where there's that huge pressure on land and uh, on kind of greenfield development that we, we all want to avoid. You're from the north, aren't you? Well, I'm from Huddersfield. Huddersfield. I'm from, I'm from Liverpool. And I grew up in, in the 70s watching, say, Swatch Shop. Yeah. And they always used to say, um, then they give the phone number out of Swatch Shop. They would say, 01, if you're outside London, uh, yeah, 811, And I remember thinking, what the hell's wrong with being outside London? Yeah, I know. So many of these things are sort of hardwired. It's sort of just so different, annoying. Different, different treatment. I mean, even if you think about the, where we got to on devolution where in 2010 when we came in, the only part of England that had devolution was London. And that is not a bad thing. It's good that London had devolution. Good that it had a powerful mayor. Good that it had uh, a strong inward investment agency. But the problem was... Nobody else has those yeah. things as well. So London's got more and more FDI. It's only partly because they've had this good agency doing... Is that because of having oh, a mayor, you think FDI has increased? I think it did help. Having um, particularly um, capital partners in, um, and London First and all these bodies, it was helpful for sucking in investment. And you just need the same thing to have. And we do now have in people like Andy Street, someone banging the drum for... Uh, the West Midlands, Ben, in ben Houch and some bank bank Also, a lot of Labour mayors well, too. Yeah, a lot of Labour mayors too, and uh, some of them are doing sensible things, even though they were in a different political party. Um, it is interesting though when when we set up the Teesside mayor, I was involved in that one as the, the Treasury. Um, uh, we were told, you know, obviously, there would never ever be a Tory in this role. Don't, you don't need to worry about that. It would never ever ever be a Conservative. And look at what's happened now. I mean, the guy's been re-elected on a landslide. And that's an He's idea. Like, well, honestly, when I was there for for, for the election. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone thinks he's doing a great job. And um, it just shows you that things can really change. And in this document, there's plans for is it rural governors. Is that right? Is that In the Conservative manifesto, the last election, we had this ambition to get devolution to 100% of England that, that wanted it. And in the white paper we set out, we talk about the next places that we're going to start negotiating some of these devolution deals with. Uh, County Durham, in uh, the East Riding and Hull, all across the East Midlands, really, Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire, uh, Derbyshire. Also in our East Anglia, Norfolk and Suffolk, and down in uh, Devon and uh, Cornwall too. So a lot of excitement about that. A lot of places have approached us for a deal. We have, we're not able to negotiate with every single one of them immediately, but we are keen to try and get devolution uh, and that kind of powerful ability to shape your own destiny to more of more of the, the country. And that can lead to more money going in, do you think? Or is it an extra layer of bureaucracy, more cost, more drain on the taxpayer, more salaries for well, us I think to pay it, for? I think it makes, it makes the money you spend go further. If I think about what I met some of Andy Street's team who were working on adult skills spending, the way that they were changing the way that money was spent locally, I thought was really interesting. Partly they were just changing the whole kind of bums on seats culture and just demanding higher quality and going for higher uh, level qualifications. But they're also doing something that we just couldn't do from Whitehall, which is giving a kind of coordination. So it's like, right, 
the local builders all want like a course in drone flying because that's a new skill that's coming online. Don't all 12 FE colleges in the area, don't all try and put on this course because it'll be rubbish and they'll all fail. Let's choose who's going to do this and have some coordination. And you just can't do that from Whitehall, right? You need someone with experience, you need some leadership locally. And that's true of so many other kind of domains on on devolution. To what extent, though, is this the fact you're doing this, you know, 12 years into a Conservative government over, over three or four elections, I'm losing count now, a document charting failure by the Tories not to get it right. Why didn't this report come out in 2011? Some of these processes, of course, did start quite a while back. So the devolution process in England started with George Osborne's Northern Power speech in, uh, in 2014, so now quite a long time ago. And um, it's fair to say there have been a few different events along the way. We've had the pandemic and we've had the agonies over getting Brexit through uh, Parliament, which the Prime Minister finally um, succeeded in doing. Uh, and before that, of course, we had a very difficult period in the early noughties where we were uh, trying to clear up the, the biggest deficit in our peacetime history. I know we don't talk about this, it's all ancient history now, but um, you know we had um, uh, we were borrowing at unsustainable levels and we'd gone into a huge recession, borrowing more than anybody else in the industrialised world. So that did make things more difficult for this agenda. It's interesting in politics now, Labour always saying, oh, you know, if you compare funding to X, then it's low. And they never want to say, oh, well, actually, since 2015, you've been increasing local government finance. They don't want to say, well, school spending has been going up for several years. And they don't, they sort of don't want to acknowledge that the kind of austerity period that we had to have because of their overspending is now over. And we have, you know, made some quite tough choices, some very controversial choices to finance good public services. So we had this huge backlog after the uh, after the COVID pandemic in the NHS, every single MP will know of very sympathetic cases of people. They don't want them to wait for life-saving operations. So we took some really tough decisions to uh, very sadly have to put in the new health and social care levy. I think it was the right decision. Uh, it's not one that any Conservative takes lightly or enjoys taking. But is it, The coverage in, in today's Telegraph says that Gove pledges tens of billions a year to the poorest parts of the country. Pledges, not spends, because there's, that's the problem with the whole report, isn't it? There's not enough money behind it. Well, there's, there's two stages, as there, there always is in government uh, spending. In the spending review, just before Christmas, only really a few weeks ago, we set out these different uh, budgets. And in the report that we produced yesterday, the white paper, we set out how we will use them to level up. So, for example, in the spending review, we announced that it was 1.8 billion uh, brownfield fund for brownfield regeneration. In the white paper yesterday, we announced that government is central government is going to get back into the business of helping drive really big urban regeneration projects, which it got out of, I think, mistakenly in the new Labour era when English partnerships was abolished for all the wrong reasons. So we're getting back into that business and Homes England are going to help using their huge expertise and their extensive powers help local authorities who are going to struggle to regenerate their their cities in a situation where a lot of us are now shopping online, a lot of town and city centres are really struggling. Why is it so big? Why is it 350 pages long, this uh, levelling up document? Well, there's a combination of um, what I talked about a moment ago, which is it's a whole of government effort. So there's there's something to say in every single field. And it also draws together for the first time all the things we are uh, already doing. For example, on the economy, it talks about some of those other SR announcements that a lot of people won't have spotted, you know, the creation of uh, 1.4 um, billion uh, Global Britain inward investment funds uh, so that we can compete very aggressively for inward investment of a, in the way that we did to get Nissan and Envision to invest hugely in recently. The 80s. Well, in the 80s, that's how we did it. And funnily enough, that's how we've come back to doing it again. Yes. And that's how we even got Nissan to reinvest hugely in electric cars recently in Sunderland again. Despite Brexit. You can say, despite Brexit, you can say it's as a result of Brexit. But either way, we, we, you know, we've got to compete in a world where countries around the world are increasingly aggressive in competing for 
inward investment that gives us the ability to fight back. And we've also, you know, a few years back, if you think about our inward investment offer, which is so crucial to, to leveling up and getting that private sector inward investment into places, particularly international investment. We didn't have a ministerial department that was in charge. Now DIT is like a real powerhouse department. Uh, started under Liz, now under Anne-Marie, uh, becoming a big department. We created the Office for Investment. We put Jerry Grimston, who's brilliant in there, operating out of number 10, because a lot of these big international investors want to know that they can walk into number 10 and be like, yes, we, we are taking you seriously. And also that OFI now are, uh, is now going to spread out across the country and have people in every uh, every region and nation. So our level of push to get inward investment into this country has gone right up. Another another SR, uh, spending review, sorry, announcement um, that we, again, we, we kind of talk about some of these things because they, in truth, they've already happened though, that's what I'm worrying about. The truth is that they get a bit lost in the spending review because so many things happen on one day. Yes. Um, so we're then kind of unpacking some of that. So for example, we've expanded the role of the British Business Bank, something we created post-financial crisis, post-2010. And that's now going to operate in Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland and the Northeast and all of the Southwest for the first time. And that is going to make it much easier for small businesses to get the kind of growth capital, the, uh, the loans and the investment that they, they need. So some of, some of the reasons it's long is we're trying to tell the whole story in one yeah, place yeah. for the first time of everything that we're big, doing. There's, there's also analysis in there about what is the underlying problem and trying to explain how we've arrived. Yes. Well, I was going to ask you, what, what have the Romans got to do with this? Uh, well, exactly. So there's a few different uh, things in there where we, because it's 400 page long, <laughs> uh, we do try to make it a bit interesting as well to lighten <laughs> the load. So we, we took in one part of the document, the so-called Medici model about Renaissance Italy. And you might think, well, why are these guys bimbling on about Renaissance Italy? It's ridiculous. Focus on like delivering. But the point of it is just to, to, to tell in a compelling way the story of how it isn't about a single magic bullet for a lot of these different places that are struggling economically places I care about, a lot of places I grew up in, uh, places you grew up in, uh, it's not that there's just one thing wrong that you can fix. We can all identify the strengths and opportunities there, but it's about bringing everything together in one place. It's about having the access to finance for business. It's about getting the inward investment in there. It's about having the strong local leadership that can attract uh, more creative people and more, more businesses. It's about having the attractive uh, landscape within cities and towns to make them nice places to be that you want to invest in. It's about having a strong cultural offer. Blah, 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 blah. It's like the way that those Medici kind yeah. of uh, Renaissance cities, they brought everything together in one place as innovative finance, new ways of doing things, new technologies, R&D. It's a, it's a slightly flowery way of putting and, and it. And there's a bid for the Olympics, maybe. That's a kind of a, a long-term view. Exactly. You know, that would be such an exciting thing to land. Cause it was obviously and which city would get it? Well, it would be spread. It would be spread. It wouldn't be London. Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool. Could, I think it would probably have Birmingham, to be spread across a number of, a, a number of places. Um, of course, we're going to have the Commonwealth Games um, coming to Birmingham uh, quite soon, really, which I think will be a really big deal. What should listeners and maybe readers of the Telegraph in the south of England think of this? There's some concern, isn't there, amongst the base that um, the party is now moving north with its, its sort of intellectual heart and it's forgetting about these areas in the south which are being overlooked. And, and they worry about their potholes, their roads, yeah, their, no, they their shop fronts need dealing with. What no, do you say to them? They certainly are do. they ignored by this? No, they're certainly not. I mean, it, it's partly that throughout the southeast there are a bunch of, a bunch of places, uh, your Great Yarmouth, your Hastings, uh, your Lowsoft and so on, that... Uh, are, are not rich. Those right? are all coastal towns. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, because it's interesting. The, the, the coastal southeast and the coastal east Anglia. There's a lot of very low wage uh, jobs. And the same is true in like and think, Cornwall. And Cornwall again. You think of a lot of these touristy places. Uh, as oh, it's a really nice one. You're visiting there. But for a lot of the people there all year, you know, it's an economy with a lot of tea shops, hospitality businesses, a lot of people on kind of minimum wage. 
and so it's easy to like mistake how well off places are but so there's there's two things really so in the southeast firstly there are places that really do need uh leveling up in terms of their living standards and, and wages and so on but it, it is also i think people do recognize that if we can look we can we could have two economic models we can have the kind of blair model which is just pile everything into london just let's all move to the greater southeast and lord knows how we'll cope or we can try and have uh, more balanced growth across the country get some of um, these great cities and towns that have such potential uh, but have shrunk going again i think that is good for the economy overall it's certainly good for our quality of life if you don't just want every single inch of the southeast to be ultimately concreted over you've got to have more balanced growth that is the bottom line that's something i feel very strongly about and have campaigned it, it, it on. speaks to the planning debate it speaks to housing that's the point market gets less heated in the south this so just finally neil o'brien this document is the best we're going to get in defining what johnsonism is isn't it it's a really can we sense- use that term johnsonism uh, is, is this I think, you, I think you just i think you just did the, um <laughs> uh no i think it's a really important pro- obviously the says lots of different things he's the man who delivered brexit he's the guy who's done all the vaccine stuff he's got strong views on international relationships he's just been in the ukraine but this is a very important thing to him and I, when you talk to him privately he is he's very very passionate about this it's something he really believes in and i think he also feels a strong kind of moral obligation to kind of repay the trust of people who voted for us in places where they've never voted conservative before or haven't done for a very long time and i think he feels that really really strongly and just finally can people feel the benefit of this leveling up agenda before the next election is there enough time absolutely yes so i think it is short medium and, and long uh, some of these things will take a long time to do. Some of the infrastructure projects, you know, the 96 billion quid. What are the short-term spending. wins next two years? But there's a lot of things we can do to immediately start to uh, improve the look and feel of high streets that have been battered by the pandemic and um, by the rise of online shopping uh, and start to make those investments in our schools and in improving school standards. So I think the people can start to feel the change in the next two years. You know, Britain is the fastest growing of G7 economies at the moment. I think we are poised for a strong recovery but some of this will take longer but it's it's essential that we show what we can do before 2024 well neil o'brien leveling up minister thank you for joining us today in the red lamp pub for this week's choppers politics thank you been a pleasure we're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another telegraph show we think you might like it's called planet normal and it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan. And me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learned what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one. Okay, shut up. Now, if we're getting into the real story of levelling up, it's only right and fair that we hear from the other side of the House of Commons. After all, levelling up is a policy that has something of a Labour tint to it. But that didn't stop Shadow Levelling Up Secretary Lisa Nandy MP from blasting Michael Gove off the publication of the White Paper, asking witheringly, Is this it? 
Is this really it? Strong words there from the MP for Wigan, Lisa Nandy. So I thought I'd give her a call to tap into more of that passion. Lisa Nandy, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Well, thanks for having me. Busy week. Busy week. Now, of course, you're in levelling up land. You're in Wigan. How has Michael Gove's 350-page treatise gone down? Have they, have they all read it there? No, of course not. I'm not entirely sure anyone in the department's read it. I think there's a real sense of frustration with this government at the moment. The Partygate sort of circus is really irritating a lot of people who are struggling to keep their heads above water. I think that's an irritation, actually, with the entire political class and the media, dare I say it, that people are being hit from every angle with energy bills and shopping costs and and um, tax hikes and, you know, want to see politicians focusing on those things. But I think also there was a feeling a couple of years ago when Boris Johnson made this promise at the election that he would level up parts of the country that had been ignored and overlooked for too long. There was a feeling of hope, actually. Um, and yesterday was just such a crashing disappointment. We got more of the same, more centralised decision-making, no new money, no new ideas. Um, I think there's a frustration with the government, but I think there's a frustration all round, and I feel it, as you know, as you said, Chris, as someone who lives here, you know, this is personal for me. I have skin in the game. I want my family to have choices and chances like all the other young people across this country, and at the moment what we have on offer from the government just doesn't come anywhere near delivering it. Do you forgive... Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, because of what the pandemic has done to the nation's finances, there's not enough money really to deliver a meaningful levelling up document. Well, this is about priorities and it's about us getting our fair share for the first time in a long time. So no, I don't really. I mean, in the last couple of years, they found lots of time to defend the disgraced Tory MPO in Patson. They found time to pass an elections bill, which makes it harder for people in this country to vote. I mean, they found time for the things they wanted to find time for and put lots of energy into them. But what they haven't done is actually make good on this election promise. And I think the money is is a problem. It's a real problem because most of that money is still being spent centrally. There's a view from the Treasury that London and the South East is the economic powerhouse I think they're quite dismissive of the idea that our regions, not just our great northern cities and cities in the Midlands and across Scotland and and Wales can deliver, but they're very, very dismissive of the idea that the coastal and industrial towns that once powered the world could do so again. But actually, if you go out to the country, this is happening. I went to Grimsby last week. Michael Gove followed us there a few days later. He will have seen what we saw. Keir and I saw apprentices who are powering the world from the Grimsby docks. You know, Grimsby has a lot of attention in the last few years, particularly during the referendum for the difficulties that the fishing industry has faced. But there they are, powering wind turbines in Asia from the Grimsby docks. I mean, it's incredible. And with the right level of investment, the right level of imagination, the right level of ambition, we, we could have that in every coastal town around this country. But, but listen, Andy, to the, to the credit of the government, surely some of these ideas are are labour ideas, aren't they? They're, they're good ideas. They're good ideas to lift opportunity in poorer parts of the country. Nine out of ten children in, in England will achieve the expected standard in, in reading, writing and maths. There are ideas there about broadband, the gap in healthy life expectancy between local areas where its highest and lowest will be narrowed and by 2035 will rise by, HLE will rise by five years. These are attempts at long-term thinking outside the box, outside of an electoral cycle, 
And surely the government deserves some credit for that. Well, first of all, those things are important, but they're not given an importance by the government because none of them are legally binding. So although the government has been at pains to say that they will have some statutory force, all that means is that every year they'll come to Parliament and tell us what progress or not has been made against them. Second of all, there's no money behind it. So let's take the the life expectancy promise. The only idea in this white paper to actually deliver that is to train school governors to know what a healthy meal looks like. I mean, I think this is a government that has completely lost the plot. Right across this country, child poverty has risen substantially in the last 12 years. And many, many families now are struggling to keep their heads above water. It's not that we don't know what a healthy meal looks like in the north of England it's that many families just simply can't afford it and when Michael Gove was education secretary it got so bad that schools were using the pupil premium just to feed the children in the class because they came to school too hungry to learn so you know these are 12 missions that the government's talking about missions that have no force in law and that are basically 12 admissions of failure of Tory government over the last 12 years. It's a list of what they've, what they've done to the country. Did you worry that these pledges levelling up, if it works, if it cuts through, it could be a, a major threat to you, to your party, to your covering your, your opposition to, to, on, on levelling up? Because it is essentially adopting quite Labour kind of policies in your, in your space. Look, I, I don't care about that at all. I want this to become the sort of consensus across political parties that we managed to get to by 2010 when David Cameron took office around LGBT rights, equal marriage, a, a Tory initiative, building on the civil partnerships work that the last Labour government had introduced. I want there to be a cross-party consensus that we need to get good jobs and wages back into places like the coastal and industrial towns that once powered the world and could do again and put places like within my home back at the centre of our national story. That's not what we got yesterday. And I would be cheering from the rafters if we had got a plan to do that yesterday. Michael Gove would have my full support. I would be going out working with Labour mayors and Labour councils in order to help us deliver it and tell that story of the country that we can be. If we've got anything like that in yesterday's white paper, then you would hear nothing but support from me. But there wasn't. There just what would wasn't. you put in there? I went through it. You know, I went through it till midnight, Chris. I got a leaked copy and sat till midnight looking for things that we could support and build on. And at the moment, unless you know the government's going to surprise us with some major new announcement that they've just been holding back. I can't do anything with a centralised system, no money, no imagination, no ambition and a treatise on the history of the Roman Empire. Is there a problem here with with the Conservatives doing levelling up? Is it a bit like watching Dad dancing, watching watching a, a parent trying to get with it to the hit parade and they can't quite do it because most of their support is down south? I, I mean, I don't think this is an inherently... Is that unfair, though? Because I, I suppose the election 19 did allow a lot more support in the north, but do you think, is it a, is it something which the Tories can do, do you think, this idea of levelling up? Yeah, so I think I think there are, there are two issues that are slightly different. One is that you've got a Chancellor who is a traditional Conservative who fundamentally doesn't believe in public spending. And actually, in many parts of the country... Uh, land is a really good example of this where you know in order to develop land outside of 
London and the southeast, you have to put public sector investment in because we don't have those high land prices that you get in King's Cross. So just to give you an example, King's Cross costs three billion to regenerate. The government put 32 million in and got 371 million back because land prices are so high. It's just not possible to do that in parts of the country like Wigan and Barnsley and Redcar. So there has to be some investment. And I think that is an inherently Tory thing, is that they don't believe in the end in a big role for the state. And I think that is a problem. But there's another side to this that is really deeply disappointing. It shouldn't be against Conservative values to believe in the people of this country. And I think what we saw in the white paper this week was that they don't really, this, this group of Conservatives fundamentally does not believe that young people in places like Wigan and Grimsby are an asset that will help us rebuild this country from the foundations up. If they did, they would be prepared to invest in those people and in those places. And I thought that's what we were going to get from the way that Michael Gove was talking about the white paper. I think the fact that we didn't shows that this group of Conservatives in particular is in free fall, just out of energy, out of ideas and out of ambition for the people of this country. Lisa Nandy, the Labour's Leveling Up spokesman, um, the shadow to Michael Gove. Thank you for joining us from Leveling Up Country in Wigan today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Now, my next guest is considered to be something of an expert on levelling up. After writing a whole book on the subject long before Michael Gove attempted his own white paper, he's Sebastian Payne, journalist with the Financial Times and author of Broken Heartlands. And he kindly joined me at my favourite table, the Red Lion Pub in Westminster. Sebastian Payne, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Thanks, Chris. Now, you're the author of the seminal work which defined levelling up for Westminster, Broken Heartlands, a journey through Labour's lost England. I wonder why you call it that, because it should also be the Conservatives' lost England, shouldn't it? I called it Labour's Lost England, Chris, because it was not a one-off event. This was a culmination of a longer trend, in my view, that these places that went Tory for the first time in 2019 and voted Brexit in 2016, they've been drifting away from the Labour Party for years, if not decades. The question for the Conservatives, of course, though, is they won those places in the North and the Midlands they'd never won before. But what about the South? And that is going to be a question for the future. And when you look at all the levelling up white paper that's come out, it's great for places like Teesside or East Midlands, West Midlands, the Northwest. But you do have to wonder what the home counties think of it. And mm. of course, when you think of the fact you had Michael Gove, the levelling up secretary, who represents Surrey Heath, one of the most prosperous, leafy, <laughs> verdant Tory parts of England. Um, what do they feel about levelling? What do they feel about well, mayors and devolution and all this money being spent? Yes, I, I've heard of MPs in Wimbledon asking what levelling up means to them and Guildford want a bridge and all that kind of thing. And that's certainly a risk. I mean, we raised that with Neil O'Brien on this podcast. I wondered, will they feel forgotten? Will, will it be a, a, an electoral issue here for the Tories going forward if they feel forgotten? Well, Michael Gove's tried to address that with, with these county deals, and that's a big part of this white paper that came out this week that says that even if you're not in a conurbation like Birmingham or Manchester or Teesside, you can have a directly elected mayor. So in the white paper... They're called governors, are they? The governors are the idea Michael Gove has put forward because mayors is a very city-urban concept. But the idea of these governors, if you're in Cornwall or Cumbria or Durham, is to try and get that critical mass and have a figure that speaks to them. But one interesting thing was I spoke to a Northern Conservative about this idea of Southern mayors, and they said, well, hang on a minute, that's just giving the South even more of things they've already got. They're just going to get more money and more powers. They're not the ones who need the help, and there is a tension there. Mm. 
you were there. I walked into the press gallery um, an hour into the debate, and you were virtually the only journalist watching it all play out. Is this enough, do you think, to define what Johnsonism is, and can it deliver in time for the election? If everything in that white paper was delivered, yes, it would be enough. Because for me, this is the first serious attempt to address that kind of howl of pain the country felt in the Brexit referendum and in 2019 when people voted for change. And in terms of the extra mayors, the targets on research and development, the skills agenda, the infrastructure, it's all good stuff. It's all the right stuff. What I'm concerned about, though, Chris, is this has got to be delivered. That, you know, it would take so much grip from the British state to see hundreds, if not thousands, of projects delivered to fulfill that levelling up vision. Plus, you know, two years have been lost due to the pandemic. We've now got really two years maximum until the next general election. Boris Johnson has got to show some progress by 2023 on this. People have got to have a tangible feel that those places that voted Tory for the first time, they're seeing change. So is it a new hospital? Is it new roads? Is it new jobs? And I think the concern I've got is there's just not the grip in Whitehall to deliver that across hundreds of yep. constituencies. I mean, we headline in our, in our paper, the Telegraph, pledges not spending. And that's part of the problem is the money's gone, basically basically, on the, on, the, on the COVID pandemic. Exactly. And also the fact as well, a lot of the money was already announced through the Towns Fund, the Leveling Up Fund, the Future High Streets Fund, and all that is good stuff. And that will speak to the desire of those voters. But the strength of what needs to change in this country is akin to the reunification of Germany. And if you look at how much money West Germany spent in East Germany, it was £1.5 trillion has been spent. That's nowhere near the kind of sums this government are putting forward if you were serious about levelling up and trying to make the whole UK economy more equal. Should Labour or the Lib Dems be worried about this? Let's look, look at it as an England issue. Should Labour or the Lib Dems be concerned about this report? I think Labour are in a difficult position here. And if you look at Lisa Nandy's response in the House of Commons, she was essentially welcoming the broad thrust of it. Well, they've got to, haven't they? Exactly, because there's no alternative. And and that's the thing about levelling up. This is not a new idea. Howard Wilson tried it in the 60s. Tony Blair tried it in the noughties. Michael Heseltine tried it in the 90s. It is what government should do, isn't it? Right. Spend money in the poorest areas, lift them up. That is basically what a government should do, isn't it? With With a new brand name. Exactly. And it's trying to solve the productivity problem. The fact we've got some parts of our economy that are not very productive and the fact that London the South East dominates and kind of pushes out the other parts of the UK. So I think Labour broadly welcome this but obviously want to go further although we haven't quite heard from how they would do that. For the Lib Dems they don't read, they just talk about broken promises on this because for them the places they're trying to get to in terms of the south of England, the more prosperous Tory parts of the country, they don't necessarily need as much levelling up as the north and elsewhere. Lisa Nandy said in the chamber that nothing of this is new in fact saying the same on this podcast and Neil O'Brien admitted that really and said a lot of it is in a spending review. I mean is this basically a summary of where we are and what they're doing. It's almost re-highlighting old policies. Some of it certainly is, and I think Lisa Nandy's writing her critique, but I think the key for me is still the devolution issue, because the OECD says the UK is the most overly centralised country in the Western world, and Labour and the Tories agree on that. And the pledge in the White Paper to do these nine extra mayors, to offer every part of England a mayor by 2030 if it wanted, that is new. 2030, I should say. That is new, and that is substantial. But I think fundamentally, if the government's serious about this, it's going to be after a lot more money for infrastructure, a lot more money on further education and the big thing that was missing for me in this white paper is skills and it kind of felt to me as if a lot of other parts of Whitehall were on board with this but the Department for Work and Pensions didn't quite deliver because I think skills should be devolved to local councils and they should have the power and the ability to spend money on that. But in Michael Gove they have got 
an energetic minister who can grip issues, can't he? He can make this happen. Yeah, he's like the only person in government who would actually do this, in my view, that there's no one else who has the experience of Whitehall who understands the matter. And you know, if you look at this 332-page document, if you can get past some of the slightly pretentious language in it, <laughs> it's meaty stuff in there. And I can't think, along with Neil O'Brien or anyone else who would do it. And we should also say, Lisa Nandy as well, she's lived and breathed this for a decade, ever since she first became an MP. So having written the book and spent 6,000 miles travelling around, I find it really exciting that two of the best people in British politics are dealing with this issue of making us a more equal country. We've given over this podcast to levelling up because we do see it as important to this government's future. Do we now know what Johnsonism is, Seb Payne? I think it's a huge question that no one's really sure because what Boris Johnson stands for changes if you look at Boris Johnson the mayor to Boris Johnson the vote leave candidate to Boris Johnson the foreign secretary to Boris Johnson the prime minister they're all different iterations with slightly different policies slightly different outlooks we are getting a better sense of it and actually he said it himself in a couple of years ago where he told people in Downing Street I want to be a Brexity Hezer a Brexity <laughs> version of Michael Hezel time that's where we are and yeah. that's where we are and that's what's in this paper Well, Seb Payne, the author of Broken Heartlands, A Journey Through Labour's Lost England. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's all for this week, listeners. A busy week in the world of podcasts. This is our third one of just a week. Blimey. Now, please do some of your thoughts on levelling up. Perhaps you live in one of the areas mentioned today on the podcast. I'd love to know what you think of it. Are you sceptical or cautiously optimistic about what the Tory government might do for your area? You can email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or tweet me, we're at chopperspodcast. And for all of the Telegraph's coverage on levelling up, please consider being a Telegraph subscriber if you're not one already. Please go to telegraph.co.uk chopper and get your first month's subscription completely free of charge. Thank you again to my guests, Neil O'Brien MP, Lisa Nandy MP, Sebastian Payne and our very own Tony Diver. Thank you as always to my producers, Giles Gear, Louisa Wells and Theodora Luludis. And of course, thank you to you for listening. Please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph this weekend. Go on, give it a go. You won't regret it. Until next time, though, cheerio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.